0: Full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold, dogs, no calf, peaks the elk, call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got dim Nero says, longbows on brain. I'm an outdoor junkie.
1: Through Welcome through. back to the Track Quest Podcast. What's going on, Bob? How much, buddy? How you been? And I'm just excited about summer coming, spring's here, Um been out looking for bears a little bit, I've run into a couple sows with cubs so far, and been seeing the elk out, and it's been, been nice, kind of dry here for the Oregon coast, but I'm enjoying it.
0: Yeah, man, time flies, it's end of May, almost. Yeah. The uh hunting season before we know it, tag, everybody's playing for tags, and Draws are coming out, and, uh, yeah, I already got a pretty good elk tag so far. Things are looking up, man, starting to plan plan for the fall, work extra, get vacation lined up. I'm pumped.
1: Yeah, I'm pumped, too. I'm actually headed to bear camp tomorrow. I've got a bunch of friends coming from all over the west, and we're going to be uh, spending a week out there tracking bears down in the jungle. It's going to be awesome. Preston Taylor's coming back with Carson Brown, like we did last spring. And Preston's invited several friends from around the West to come join us. And I've already uh, pulled out some bear roasts. I'm going to make the boys some uh, Bob the Borland's patented (laughs) Chile, chile verde roast tacos.
0: Damn, nice. Yeah, that'll be that'll be awesome, man. Jealous. I I have a bear tag, but I don't know if I'm even going to make it over there. We'll see. Snow I think has melted enough to get up in there. Actually, Andy and Owen are going over there this weekend and uh We'll see. I get pretty stingy on my time, so I had a week and a half thank to go, but I start these elk tags are starting to pile up and it's making me nervous. <laughs> Changing things around yeah. to make sure I have enough time. But, uh, it is a good time you, of year to be out there, man. It's nice. You know, we've had a crazy spring. Like you said, we haven't had a lot of rain, but usually we get pounded all winter and this, you know, May comes around and turkeys and bears and shed hunting and
1: stump shooting. It's, it's a good time of year. It really is. It really is. I know you've switched from, uh, the recurve to the longbow this year, shooting a legit 68 inch uh, Alan Boyce Longbow English. That's, uh, super awesome. I know we've been talking about the trials and tribulations of that. And I've pretty much been a longbow guy for a long time, but went back to a recurve and I'm dumping that and going back to the longbow because I'm just not into recurves. And so yeah, how's the, how's the longbow shoot going?
0: <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, it's going. It's going. I might, uh, miss everything this year, but it's definitely for me, it's way, I don't know. It's way different to, to be consistent, like shooting at a target in the backyard is uh, way tougher for me, but I'm more of an instinctive shooter. And when I go out stump shooting, it's kind of, you know, I think the concentration helps, but, um, shoulder, the shoulder issues I've had also don't help. So holding, you know, steady for the, you know, aiming for several seconds. Like I usually do, I'm changing it up a little bit. So, um, I'd say out yeah. to twenty, I'm a hundred percent confident right now, out to twenty yards, like I'm good, but I wanna get a hundred percent confident out to thirty, which is you get a little past twenty five and things get pretty pretty shaky for me right now, so but I got several months left I finally getting arrows to fly good out of the thing have been my biggest problem. And it's probably my release, and, you know, Andy gives me all kinds of crap. But uh, Alan kind of hooked me up. We are at the rock shoot, and, you know, he's been making longbows for 30 or 40 years. And, he, yeah, you need to do this. And he fixed my brace sight, moved my knock point. He's like, blah, 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 blah. And, bam, all of a sudden, I'm good. So I got Andy making me a couple dozen, like, final answer. Those are my arrows I'm shooting, you know, Sherwood shafts. And uh, so I don't have to tinker with arrows. A lot of the last several months I've been you know, trying to get this to fly, that to fly, you know, spines and just
1: tuning, basically. What did you end up with? For What did you end up with spine with spine and, and point weight? On your uh, so line?
0: I'm shooting just 125 grain points um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: on a... I cut my arrows. I usually shoot full-length arrows, but they're 30-inch arrows now with 125 grain tips on 50-55 Sherwood shafts. And I'm shooting... Uh, what made a really big difference was left wing feathers. I shoot bigger feathers because I have a crappy release, probably. But that was one thing Alan told me when I was there. You know those guys like to fletch them up right wing, I think, because it's easier in their jig or something. I don't know, but but that was the first thing Alan asked me, and and uh, he said, well, you need to get left wing because the way they hit the shelf or something. So. So that's what we did, and it worked. I went out down to Andy's week and a half ago, and we we made up some left wing ones, and it did make a difference. I mean, they're flying good. I mean, I shouldn't say that my arrows weren't flying good, but I just I'm used to perfection, but pretty close. I can see when when anything wiggles or wobbles, it I don't like it. So I think Mm, I finally got them dialed. We lose sleep over it, right? Like around anymore. So now I can concentrate on just
1: you know getting her zeroed in. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's kind of fun going through the process. Like, you'll call me, like, I'm not even going to be able to go to sleep tonight. Like, these things aren't flying. And then I'm, like, <laughs> laughing. And then, like, a week later, I'm in the same boat. I'm, like, I switched bows, and these arrows aren't flying. And, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Well, for um, me,
0: I mean, I've shot 48 to 50-pound recurve for 15, to, I don't know, 18 years with a 70-75 Sherwood shaft, you know, That's just what I've shot with a 125 grain tip. I did switch up the tips, um, a little bit that Wolfer like to shoot a little heavier tip, but I haven't basically, I haven't changed my arrows in a long time. And part of that is just because of my shoulders. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been the process for me for sure, but, but it's Yeah. uh, yeah, new challenge, I guess.
1: Well, I think the theory is in the left wing feather, which I shoot as well, is that it's spinning away from, for a right hand shooter, it's spinning away from the, the shelf and can give you a, it's a smidge more clearance. I think that's the, the idea there. And I think a lot of guys run the right clamp on their jigs just to, you know, it's a pain to reset to go from left to right. So kind of, for whatever reason, the industry standard seems to be a right clamp, but yeah, I'm in the left, left wing
0: yeah, I mean, a lot well. of guys say it don't matter. I don't know. I'm not a yeah. techie guy. I'm sure, uh, uh, the trad lab guy would be like, ew, these guys are idiots or something. And yeah, probably, but it. for me, shooting this D longbows, it just, I don't know. Alan told me to do that and it sure does seem to work better for me. So hopefully it, uh, sinks into a monster 380 bull elk this fall. And I'll be happy.
1: Yes. And you built a, uh, built yourself a quiver kind of the marv clinky style off of a uh, asbel quiver which looks super awesome i can't wait to see it in person
0: yeah it's uh i don't know if it looks super awesome but i cobbled something together marv sent us his little drawing which which is great but i already had i had an old fred asbel quiver i found in my stash of old relics and it has a couple adjustable mounts that go on your bow along the rail so i just anyway i put those together, played around with it, bent some stuff, and I had an old, uh I also had an old, like, uh, I don't remember who made them, but it goes on your belt to, like, hook your compound on, or I guess recurve. you just can hang it at your belt mm-hmm. if you're looking at your binoculars I think, it's,
1: or I think it's Spider, it might be, or at least okay. I had one that was made by Spider, but yeah.
0: And, uh so anyway, I, I drilled some holes and, and kind of played around with that for a while, but It's nice. It it is like shooting a D longbow with a quiver on it. I mean, I don't know. It just, I'm trying to, the reason I switched to the longbow is just purely for the quiet factor. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I know that we can get our recurves pretty darn quiet, but I've had a lot of issues with animals jumping the string over the years. And I, you know, I've, I've tried a lot of things and tried, you know, quiet my last bow up as much as I could and I still have those issues and, and so anyway, I'm just trying this. We'll see if it works. I, I wanted to try those trad veins and I did try a lot of them, but with my sub, subpar release and trying to shoot them off the longbow, they just, it just didn't work. they kick kicking like crazy here and there. So, but I mean, I got them fly decent. I'll probably have a few in my quiver, but the factory five inchers that, uh, get from Andy. I don't know what brand they are, but they're pretty darn quiet. We put them on there the other day and they're pretty low profile. And so I'm doing the best I can here. So that's, that's where I'm at. Hopefully, uh,
1: hopefully I don't miss everything this year. <laughs> well, at least, at least you're committed. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm jumping back and forth between two bows and, and, uh, I won't lie. Um, I've got an eye open when we go to Montana. I might just sell my recurve and pick up a different longbow. So I'm a hot mess, Phil. Um, I I love the D longbows as slow as they are just because of how quiet they are. I just, I that's what I've shot for several years. And I went uh to this recurve and just that, I like a nice firm, the bow to, draw, to feel firm all the way back to the very back. I don't really like that. Uh, the way those hooks open up and it gets soft back there. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot, but I just, I prefer the longbow. So uh, got to work that out. But I, like you said, I don't like the quiver hook to it. That's always been my big, it's such a hard thing to work around. I'm trying to try everything under the sun, but I haven't tried the Marv clinky style quiver yet. And, uh, I'm gonna, you know, play with yours in Montana and then commit to something like that if I like it. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that's the answer.
0: Yeah. It, you know, I know we've talked about this, but the only, you know, when you're hunting the jungle and the brush, I don't know. I think you're going to be more of the safari tough, probably going to be your answer. I don't hunt in the brush as much as
1: you. So I, I don't I like, like hunting in the brush.
0: <laughs> What's that?
1: I don't like hunting in the brush. That's not my main goal. uh i like to go east as often as possible but yeah um i think uh i'm gonna get it worked out i was shooting last night and i was shooting my hybrid uh reflex deflex longbow my alan boyce uh chief that's a great shooting bow and i shoot it decent and i can and and it rides a quiver nice but man i like shooting my tolkien super d and i want to try one of alan's englishes and i really want to try one of dick robertson's uh is it the primal stick? I don't know what what his Debo is, but um, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm still yeah, got a.
0: I, uh, I had what's the Alan, I had the or I have the cl- classic, plastic. which is the string follow, which I love. It shoots really good, but uh, he wanted me to try that English, and I, and I do, I, I don't, I don't really, I'm not a good enough shot to really notice a difference, or but it it's three pounds heavier, three or four pounds heavier. And it does shoot a little faster. The, the, what I did notice was I was, you know, when I get out past 20, you know, 20 in that 20 to 30 range at the 3d course, I was shooting low a lot just cause, you know, I'm just used to a faster bow and, and I don't notice it near as much with that English now. So that, that makes me, you know, stick with that one. So they're both sweet bows and yeah, Alan's been doing it forever. He's such a, such a good deal. I
1: know it sounds lame, but, like, my recurve is so fast, man. And it sinks the freaking arrows so deep into the targets. And I like my – I like the slow arrow. I like the arrows. It's like I can just see it working its way towards the target. I enjoy that. I really like seeing that arrow leave the bow and go all the way over there. Uh, I feel like it makes me shoot better. I, I don't know. It's It's probably – another stupid thing i like but mystical um, the arrow yeah i i enjoy that slower arrow um so yeah it's gonna be fun uh going we're headed to western states here at the end of the month um which is almost here in montana low low hot springs and we're gonna get to run into a lot of cool like a lot of people we've interviewed we're gonna get to yeah, uh, Some of them we've ran into before, but I, I'm really looking forward to catching up and meeting a lot of these guys for the first time. I mean, shoot, this is my first time going to Montana.
0: Yeah, it should be awesome, man. We'll, uh, we'll have a few hats and maybe some shirts and we'll probably set up in there with Andy. I'm gonna have a little, maybe we'll have a little table or something and have you guys swing by and say hi and be fun, man. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I rented a, I don't know, part of the hotel or something's going to haul my trailer up there, but it's 20 years old and falling apart. So I thought, well, taking the wife and the kid and saw they had some openings. So we switched it up and I'm looking forward to it.
1: I'm going with my best friend, Nick, and I haven't got to spend any time with him for a while. So I'm looking forward to the trip over there. I've never even been to Idaho, so I'm going to get to see some <laughs> the West. A I'm a West Coast guy. I know I've. Well, yeah, I live on the coast. You know, um, I, I was born in Southern California, and I've spent a lot of time in California and Oregon and Washington, but just never. I've been to the East Coast and the the south southern part of the U.S., but I've just never been to any of these western states. So, I'm really excited about seeing Idaho and Montana, and and another really traditional archery rich uh, state, Montana, and all the all the dudes that live there. So yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Yep,
0: yep. Well we better get on to this episode because so, it's kind of a long one too. Yeah, so
1: Yeah. So speaking of Southern California, um I lined up uh David Deville. Um, we were actually uh uh recommend Dave was recommended to us by who did we have on recently? Steve
0: Honsey. Right. That's
1: right. It was Steve Hohensey. Yep. Steve Hohensey had recommended uh him to us and I actually found him on Instagram. He's got a couple pictures there. He's not real active. And I reached out to him and we talked a little bit and and I told Bob, I'm like, Man, I got this guy, he's really, really intense, and he's a great storyteller and and he's from Los Angeles. And I could tell your excitement. You were like, okay, Los Angeles. <laughs> uh <laughs> Where, where is he hunting? And I'm like, he hunts in Los Angeles. And you're like, okay, let's do it. Um, I, I think we were both presently surprised, um, on, uh, David's approach to hunting, uh, just outside of the city and his success. And man, what a storyteller. And, and I, I think this is a really raw, one of the most raw podcast we put out uh it's just man i i it it was awesome like one of those podcasts where you record it and for the next three four five hours i'm almost like on a high it's like (laughs) how exciting it was yeah Yeah. he is he
0: just you know he loves bow hunting and you can tell so much through his stories and how he got into it's just so awesome man that's why we do it and uh so it's super, super great to have him on. And like I said, I was surprised. I, you know, i I'm not, I don't have anything against anybody, but when you hear California, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, I just absolutely love this guy. And you guys that are on Trag Gang or whatever, the King would be, was that what, what he is on there? Yep. So you probably know mm-hmm. a lot. He's hunted a ton of pigs down there and, and black tail deer and some giant bear. I mean, he killed a Boone and Crockett plus Bear last year. I mean, just yeah. incredible. And the stories are, oh, I love it. I loved it, man. It was so good. We haven't done one of these in a while. And you know, I'm not real motivated to do them all the time. So it was good to have, have him on. It was a good, good timing for me. Got me pumped up again. So
1: yeah, man, I am super jacked and, and you know, California is kind of a, uh, it's, it's weird to call it a hidden gem, but they, they ha- they're a sportsman state. I mean, they have a, a, a liberal deer season with two tags per person over the counter, and they've got uh, some of the most giant hogs in the country, and they, I think they've got the heaviest uh, black bear population in the lower 48. Um, so, I mean, there's opportunities in the, in the Golden State for sure, and um, I've hunted down there before, and, and uh, you better bet them, it's going to become a regular thing for me. Um, I have family down there and friends and so, yeah, um, I'm really excited to put this podcast out and, um, actually, um, lining up some more California guys. Uh, California is, uh, uh, actually has a pretty, pretty good scene of traditional bow hunters down there. So I really hope you guys, uh, enjoy it. And, uh, thanks again for the, all the support you guys, uh, have given us and, I know we're not super consistent, but we, we do the best we can and, and, uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. Welcome to the show today. Um, today we have David Deville from Southern California. Uh, David, uh, I remember David from Trad Gang back, uh, back in the day when I was lurking on there all the time. Um, I believe you went as King would be. Is that right? David? Yeah, that's correct. That is correct that's a that's a nickname one of my
2: best buddies gave me back in I think that was 7879 we were we were hunting the island and um, back then um, the island they would put together hunts and there'd be like 30 40 guys on a hunt and there was a mountain of gear and so, the, the packers would say, Hey, put your name on your gear. So when we unload, when we get to the island on the dock, you, you guys, we can sort through this mountain of gear. And so my buddy, Ron Murray, who ended up moving to Montana, he had a, he had a marking pen and I said, Hey man, put my name on my arrows. You know, I had arrow boxes back then. We would bring. We bring three to four dozen arrows for the hunt and it was only a three day hunt. <laughs> so it was a target rich environment. And, uh, so he's like, yeah, sure. So we're, 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 we're there and the guys, the guy, cause they're, they're pulling out all this gear and then they'll call your name. So everybody's not a big cluster of, of guys trying to get their gear. And they call your name and you you come and you grab your Earl Box or whatever. And they started um they go, uh, King would be, And nobody moved. And they're like, King Woodby? <laughs> nobody did anything. And I'm standing right next to him and he hasn't said anything. And after about the fourth, fifth time, he goes, he elbows me, he goes, That's you. And so <laughs> I had to walk up in front of everybody. And pick up my arrows that they called half a dozen times uh, because it wasn't my name, and so it just stuck. So everybody was calling me King Woodby for the trip.
1: <laughs> oh, I like it. Yeah, you know
2: how those so, things, you know how those things happen. You
1: can't shake it. <laughs> yeah, it just stuck right right to you. So when you say yeah. the island, you're you're referring to the Catalina Islands uh, off of the tip of Southern California, correct?
2: Well, actually, they have the the Channel Islands off of Southern California, and this trip was um, on Catalina. We went to Santa Cruz and Catalina. They had uh, – uh, Catalina has uh, pigs and goats, Catalina goats, and then Santa Cruz Island had sheep and hogs, and then Santa Rosa had mule deer and elk and hogs they put on it, and – it's from way back. The Spaniards put them there, but the Nature Conservancy destroyed it and, um, they turned it into a, a park after they eradicated all the goats and the sheep, um, and, and
1: just destroyed it. When, when did they, uh, when did they do that? In the nineties?
2: Uh, no, they, they did that in the two thousands. Uh, I'm going to say okay, around, yeah. uh, around 2000 probably around 2006 2007 the the islands were in a limbo for a while and um you know it was it was an amazing thing because a a, a bow hunter a would-be bow hunter could go to the island and get five years of experience in a three-day weekend because it's such a target rich environment um, you, you would, you would learn how to stalk. You would learn what to do, what not to do, what you could get away with, and, and you would get some kills. And, uh, if you're just a deer hunter, you know, you might, you, if you're lucky, you'll get one or two shots in a year, and then you gotta wait till next year. And then if, again, if you're lucky, you'll get one or two shots. We're on the islands, um, we would actually run out of arrows, and you're like, hold on, didn't you bring three or four dozen? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but, um, out of arrows and we would pick up arrows and just, you, you, anytime you found an arrow, you'd put it in your quiver because
1: there was a good chance you'd
2: run out of arrows. It was truly a, a bow hunter's paradise.
1: Let's, uh, let's talk about that quiver. Cause I know I, I spoke with you, uh, last night and you'd mentioned, uh, a bow mounted quiver that you guys would take to the Island and it held quite a few arrows.
2: Yeah. Um what what they had designed actually it was a archery shop in Costa Mesa Costa Mesa that designed them and it was a regular 8 arrow quiver but they they built an extension on it to where it was a double stack so you'd have 16 arrows and um <laughs> what's crazy is you'd see a guy come back in the evening and he he left with a double stack and he came in and he, he's out of arrows and you're like what Cause it was just it was that good and uh, I remember one time, uh, this might have been the same trip. No, nah, it was later. And uh, some guys came from Colorado, and this guy's shooting a, a, a recurve. And I'm like, hey, man, you you want to take some warm-up shots before we go out? You know, cause it's like right, just right at first light. There was no reason to go out in the dark. You know, you wait until first light's where you can see. And he's like, yeah, sure. And I saw him pick up his bow, and he didn't have a left hand. And he was right-handed. And I'm like, how do you shoot your bow? And what he did is he had a claw on his left hand, his his bow arm, and he had made a custom fit riser for his claw. And he shot as good as anybody. And I was like, dude, go, man, go.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah, he had a love A lot of people probably don't realize, but I grew up in Southern California until I I moved to Oregon when I was 13. And, um, my parents were sea urchin divers. My grandparents on both sides were sea urchin divers. And I was pretty much raised out on the Channel Islands. We were, we spent all our time out there amongst all those islands. You know, we'd go out for a week, 10 days at a time. And so I used to see elk and bighorn sheep (laughs) and goats and, see all those animals uh while we were at the islands. you know never got a chance to hunt them but it was sure cool that the first place i ever saw an elk was out there oh
2: yeah now now they didn't have big horn out there but it was a uh it was a merino sheep but it's a ram um but it's, yeah. it's not a big horn. um it's like a type sheep right yeah correct they they call yeah. them merino mm-hmm. uh merino rams and now I know okay. some of the islands down in uh, the Gulf of Mexico, they got bighorns on desert bighorn. Yeah. But these, these weren't, uh, bighorn sheep, yeah. but they're rams and they're really, they're really great for, for bow hunting. Um, just uh, again, I, I learned early on and I, I talked with some guys. I'm like, how, how are you guys hunting the islands all the time? And everybody I talked to that would hunt there all the time, they're like, Oh, I'm self-employed. And so at that time I was, I was working for the, the city of Los Angeles. So I ended up becoming self-employed so where I could hunt and, and what a, what a great decision that was um, to become self-employed. But back then too, I, I worked at night. And so I would, I would hunt every day. I'd go into the field every day, season or not, I was either scouting or hunting and, and a lot of things that people don't realize, California has one of the longest seasons. Probably the only one who's got longer is maybe some of the southern states or Texas. Uh, but we start hunting deer the second week of July, and then we don't have to stop if you have the right tags until uh, December 31st. And back then it was January 31st. We had a tag called S2, and you could hunt till January 31st. And so it's kind of a unique thing that we have here. And then the, pog, the hog population has done nothing but continue to increase over the decades where we've, we've gone through an extremely severe drought over the last 10 years, and our numbers are down, but they're just now starting to creep back up. Um, I think we lost, my opinion, I think in Southern California, we lost two, two-thirds of our deer and two-thirds of our hogs. Uh, it was it, because it's an extremely severe drought down here.
1: Yikes. Wow yeah, most so, people don't think of Southern California as a bow hunting destination spot um, lo, yeah definitely would love to hear more about about that and and we what time frame are we talking to at this point are we uh, are we in the 80s or
2: for for which re-
1: regarding your question for, for 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 when you went to self employed and started uh, oh, yeah, uh, spending all was, day that was uh, actually
2: I worked I worked with the city until um, until two uh, till eighty eight yeah yeah nineteen eighty eight I uh, I left the city and became self employed and so between 78 and 88, uh, I worked at night. And so for that decade, I just, because it was, it was my wife and I, um, well, actually that was before I got married. She was my girlfriend. Um, so I just, I was able to hunt a lot. And what I didn't know, I just, I just had a hunger for it. Um, guys, I just, I just wanted to be in the field. It's, and actually if we even go back to my, you know, elementary school, junior high. Uh, I live right next to the Perdugo mountains, Perdugo hills, which is right smack dab in LA. Um, if you Google it, Perdugo hills, you'll see that, I mean, it's, it's, it's surrounded by freeways, but it was an oasis for a young kid who loved the mountains. So we built forts and we were up there all the time. Well, we started making bows and BB guns and wrist rockets and stuff. And we were, we were terror on the on the small game in the Hills. And, um, so it's, it saved my life as far as not getting into gangs because I am in Southern California, Los Angeles, the greater Los Angeles area. And there's drugs, there's alcohol, there's, there's, there's everything a large city has. And the mountains saved my life from that because that's where I wanted to go. So my friends and I, we would go up and build forts and and just terrorize the mountains and, uh, Hike and see game. I mean, I watched, I watched packs of coyote cause I'm up on the mountain go infiltrate the city and co- lure dogs up and then attack them and shred them, pull them apart. Yeah. We're like, whoa. Um, kind of things that people don't think are there. Um, and then in 88, um, I became self-employed, self-employed and, and it didn't change. <laughs> I, I, kept staying in the field as often as I could.
1: <laughs> did you have a, um, you know, some guys will come and go from hunting. Did you, did you stay, uh, bow hunting all, all throughout or did, was there a time that you took a break from it or? Never. Not once.
2: Not even, not even slowed down. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been from, well, it's kind of weird because, um, when I, when I turned 18, I, I ended up getting my own, my own place. And so all my friends would come over to, to my house, uh, because, you know, I had a, I had a place that, that we could hang out. And of course we were, we were chasing girls at that time too. That, be, between my youth and turning 18, there was girls in there. But when I turned 18, a friend of mine, was came over to my house and he's like, "Hey man, have you seen the bows and arrows?" And I'm like, um, "Yeah man, I used to shoot bows all the time." And he goes, "They got they got wheels on them now." And I'm like, "No way." And he's like, "Yeah yeah, I just stopped at Shawnee's and they got the bow and arrows got wheels on them." And I'm like, "No way." Well, the next day I stopped in there because it was on my way home, right on Foothill Boulevard, and I went in there. I go, "Hey." You guys got the, the new bows with the wheels? And the guy's like, yeah. And I, I couldn't believe it. And I said, well, and I looked at the walls, I go, and I saw some pictures and I go, were, were, were those killed with, with bow and arrow? And he goes, everything in here was killed with bow and arrow. I'm like, no way. They had a moose mount, they had bear, they had caribou, they had some mule deer. And on the, on the wall, they had a picture of this dude, probably from the fifties. And he's got a a big mule and he's in the Nevada desert and he's got, he's got dark glasses on like James Dean. And I'm like, that dude is so cool. I go, give me everything. So I got this and it was a Jennings lightning, which was a turd. I mean, it was just a turd. And so I, I got the glove, I got the arm guard, I got a dozen arrows and I'm like, I'm like, what do, what do I hunt with? Do I hunt with these? You know, field points, because I, I didn't know anything. And they're like, no, you need broadheads. So I bought a half dozen of wasp cam locks, And I'm like, dig it. I'm ready to go. <laughs> and so um, I just started shooting bows and arrows. Now, I did have, uh, because, again, all the guys came over to my house. So I had a couple buddies. That I'm like, dude, look at this, man! I got this bow and arrow, and look, I'm gonna hunt, and I I don't even know, you know, which way's up. (laughs) And they're so they went and got bows and arrows too. So we, the blind, were leading the blind, and we just started. Yeah, it was, it was, it was. When I look back, I'm like, how did we? So we're getting up at four or five in the morning, driving up in the mountains, and just we think we're hunting, but we're just walking around with our bows and arrows, and then. Somebody would see a deer and we're like hey I saw a deer I'm like whoa whoa so that's how it started and we just got addicted um, and, and, and myself just and then after a couple of years of that I uh, you know back then there was no internet there was nothing there was there was no traditional bow hunter there was there was just bow hunter magazine and bow and arrow and and deer and deer hunting magazine that's that's all there was. Um, I don't even think Peterson was doing magazines mean, there was sports illustrated, but every now and then I'd see a picture of a guy with a longbow or a recurve. And I'm like, man, that's what I want to do. So I ended up, I think it was 82 or 83. I bought a, a used bighorn from a, a guy down here, Bob Jensen, who was kind of a, kind of a legend down here. He was, He was shooting the most deer of anybody down here in Southern California. And, uh, so I said, Hey Bob, you got a bow? And he was shooting trad and, uh, he said, yeah, I got one. I'll sell you. So I I bought a big horn recurve and I was like, Whoa, this is going to (laughs) be (laughs) bitching. And so in 84, I, I caught lightning in the bottle, uh, I I, everything I shot at I killed that year 1984 and I just couldn't believe it I shot a bear I shot my first bear then and then I I went to the island I I won the pot I shot uh, big ram big hogs Um, the only thing I missed that year was an antelope I drew an antelope tag and I missed and that was my only miss that year so I, I was I I I never looked back. Never never went back to a compound since uh, '82, '83, oh, and awesome. shot Trad ever since. It's uh, it's, so probably, when, it's so
0: cool to. It's so cool to hear like, you know, growing up in LA. It just it just seems yeah. crazy to me that you know you didn't have a mentor or somebody huh? that was like pushing you. You just you know from playing in the woods as a little kid and then stopping by the archery shop and you're just it's it's weird how some people are just obsessed with it like us yeah and then some people kind of take it or leave it especially you know taking the further step to the recurve you know because i was always the same way i grew up you know i shot recurves longbows whatever went you know compound when i was 12 and hunted but i always i would see that picture you know whatever it was of the guy with the bighorn sheep and a you know Mm. Paul Schaefer, whatever's like, man, that is what I want to do. That's fiction. Like, well, let's do that, you know. And so that was always my my drive. So, just cool to hear that. Yeah,
2: it it's, it's exactly the same. And then here in Southern California, they're just the the people that do hunt are covert about it because we just this this environment is not conducive. Which which um, back in the back in the fifties and the sixties, it actually was. Mm-hmm. Um hunting had some glamour with it and that's, that's when Howard Hill was down here and movie star and he got a bunch of guys into, into bow hunting. Um Captain Kirk, um, what's his name? Jim Conrad, uh, he, he went to the island and he bow hunted and did some, did some stuff for motor. But as we, as we got into the seventies, it, it got lost mm-hmm. and it became really taboo of, uh, of being a hunter. You know, the the animal rights activists were fully engaged and they were demonizing anybody that hunted or or wore fur. This was like the epicenter because of Hollywood. And so nobody, nobody really shared that they hunted. Um, And and I just just out of pure desire, just kept beating my head against the wall. And, and then, and then of course, I got to tell I got to tell you about my first buck. You're not going to believe this. (laughs) So it's, it's July. It's like 107 degrees and I am green as fluorescent green. I've not killed a buck, nothing. And so I'm out bow hunting. It's hot. And back then, um, we did, I didn't even, I I went to the army surplus and that's the only place you could get camouflage. So I thought, okay, I gotta, I gotta camo up so they don't see me, which I didn't know at the time that, you know, and so, uh, I, I had bought a canteen and I had a canteen on my side and all that thing did was slish, splish, splash and, and <laughs> slosh around. And I'm like, this, this canteen is too, you know, it's one of those aluminum army canteens yeah. and, soon as you take a drink out of it, it just so so i ditched that night and, and i got a boda bag you know which he, the the dudes in the alps that carry the wine in yeah. and so I, I would carry a little a little day pack and and a and a boda bag that's that's a that's what we did so it was quiet and make a long story short i i find a buck in a burn and it, there's there's a little bit of a Sticks in the way. But I'm like, ah, oh, I can hit him. And sure enough, man, my arrow goes click, clack, zing, zang, boom. And it hits him just just above his penis. And I'm like, I got him because I didn't know. And I'm like, I saw the arrow hit, and, and then he ran off. And I'm like, and then I, I went over. I didn't wait because I didn't know to wait. Yeah, but I went straight over to the arrow and I'm like, oh, it, I got him because it's covered, you know. But it's mostly in green stink and yeah. and some blood. And I hit him with that that uh, camlock four. And I'm like, dig it. So what do I do? I leave my pack, I leave my bow and everything, and I start following this deer because I'm like, I I shot him. He's he's gonna die, right? <laughs> In in about eight hours, right? (laughs) So I start following this deer that ends up getting two football fields because I got an entrance and an exit. So he's got one on the right, one on the left, and they're about the size of a football of his intestines coming out. And because I'm ignorant and I don't know what I'm doing, I keep following and I'm pushing him, but I, I didn't know better. And so he's he's actually leaving sign because he's leaving stringers along the way and and pieces of fat and stuff and I just kept following him all day because I I couldn't lose him because he was leaving too much sign and I and I'm as ignorant as a post and I but I have signs so I'm like, Okay, you gotta keep following him because this is your deer, you know. You gotta you gotta do this. And I'm like, man, this is hard. Now I believe the only reason I got him is because I had water and he didn't. And I kept pushing him out of ignorance, but I was drinking out of my BOTA bag and I never let him settle. And I just kept pushing him, kept pushing him, kept pushing him. And then finally he bedded down and I, I see him and I have a buck knife on me and I have my BOTA bag. I have no bow. And I walk up to him. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to walk up to him and slit his throat. <laughs> and as I get close to him, he jumps up and charges me and tries to gore me.
1: Oh.
2: And we, we literally are having a hand-to-hand. And I got him by his rack, and he's trying to back me up. He is backing me up. He's pushing me backwards. And I'm, and I'm getting close to this oak tree. And I'm like, man, you've got to get him off his feet. So I, I kind of do a bulldog. Move, you know, like the, like the steer wrestlers. And I flip him off his feet and his, his feet are just flailing. His hooves are just going like a chainsaw. He's just, he's just trying to get me. And I, and I like get my knee on him and I'm so stupid that I, I get my buck knife out and I, I stab him in the neck, but I don't know where the juggler is and I go the wrong way. And he goes even more crazy. And I don't kill him until I go all the way around the back of his neck and hit the juggler on the other side. Oh. And then, of course, <sighs> blood everywhere. Blood all over him. Blood all over me. And I, and I stand back and I stand up looking at him and I'm like, damn, this Bo-Honey is
1: crazy. <laughs>
2: That, that that's, was my first buck. Oh man, now
0: that, that's, oh. uh, that's primal right there. That's savage.
2: I, yeah. I, I mean, it was, you know, it's, it's savage and it's primal because I, I, I had a sense of duty, a sense of obligation, but I didn't know what I was doing. I, I didn't yeah. know, I didn't even know how to gun it. <laughs> I, I didn't know how to do anything. Um, I bought a bow and arrow and said, Hey, let's hunt. And and went out. And now looking back, I'm like, and and there's no wonder I got addicted to it because I'm like, damn, (laughs) does it get does it get more intense than this?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's got to get easier, right?
2: (laughs) I I was like, I I couldn't believe it. And then, of course, Uh. because I'm ignorant. I don't I don't know what to do. And so, so I leave him there. I don't even gut him. I'm so I'm so stupid. And I go home to get a backpack because I'm like I gotta get him out of here. And I go and I get a backpack, and then I I just I just saw him. I saw him in like four pieces. But I don't even know about quartering. <laughs> um, and I'm like I gotta get him out. And luckily I didn't lose the meat, which I don't know how. But um, I I was young and so I was in really killer shape. And so I ran down, ran out, got my backpack. Came back in and just hacked
1: him apart, and then brought him home. And uh, <laughs> <that was my laughs> I can only imagine what you looked like after that was all said and done, driving home. Man, yes.
2: Yeah. Thank God nobody saw me because it, I, I, I'm sure I looked like an axe murderer. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I remember. I remember uh, when I got home, I, I called my girlfriend, who's my wife now. And I'm like, I got a buck. And she's like, no way. And I'm like, yeah, but I got to go back and I got to get it. You know, this is before cell phones. You got to catch them on a landline. Uh, that's the kind of, so I go, I'm heading back up and I'll bring it over, you know, when I'm. And so I did. And she's like, oh, my gosh, you got a shower. And I'm like, yeah, I got blood in my hair. I had kind of long hair back then. Yeah, I got blood in my hair and, I, and my beard and my face and my clothes. My, my army clothes look like I just came out of battle. And, uh, but I got him, and I'm like, and then my buddies are like, no way. And I'm like, so that launched all of us into, into our hunting
1: escapades. So it sounds like there was quite a few guys in Southern California that were bow hunting at the time. You had quite the group. Oh, just,
2: I I only had two other buddies that, that bow hunted, but, but as you, as you get in, because I we have we have a lot of archery clubs and a lot of people shoot archery but not necessarily um our hunters. And um the, the compound was just taking off like gangbusters then. That's that's when Jennings had his shop here in Southern California and they they were just pushing the, the compound night and day. Um so everybody was doing that. They were leaving they were leaving the trad gear behind. And um I just I fell in love with trad gear. And, and just couldn't put it ever since I dropped the compound. I never looked back. I was like, no, man, this is, this is the way. Um, and so never had any mentors here in, uh, at, actually at all. Um, the, I did have a guy, Bob Jensen, who, uh, we would, we would wind up in the same spot because I worked at night and I would drive up in the morning to either scout or hunt. And of course, if we were hunting, it was hunting season, but the hunting season six months long. And so I would see this guy's car. I didn't know who he was, but he would beat me every day. Um And I'm like, who, what is this guy doing? And then I, I remember glassing him and I'm like, I bet that's the guy who's parking his car there. So I purposely went around and got in front of him and he was coming up a, this fire road and I'm like, Hey, uh, are, are you the guy in the orange car? And he's looking at me, you know? He's like, yeah. And he, this, this guy was from Jersey. And, and he talked to me. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's my car. And I'm, I'm like, I go, I go, so do you ever, you ever get any deer? And he's like, yeah, I get deer all the time. And I'm like, well, I, I I'm not really able to find them. And he's like, oh, wait, you know, you're in a good spot, but don't tell anybody you saw me. And I'm, I'm like, no, man, I don't even know who you are. And so, um, about a week or two later, I'm at an archery tournament in Pasadena and he's there. And I go, Hey, and he, and he puts up his finger to his mouth like, Shh, quiet. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm like, why? And he goes, don't tell nobody if you like that spot, don't tell nobody you saw me there. And I'm like, why? He goes, cause I killed a few deer there. And I'm like, Oh, so I asked some other guys, I go, who's that guy? They go, Oh, that's Bob Jensen. And then I got turned on to CBH, which is California Bowman Hunters. Man, I bought my first book and his name was all through it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And so we ended up uh, getting a good friendship. We never hunted together. Um, but we would converse at shoots and stuff because I ended up finding where he was hunting and, um, pulled out some really nice deer out of there also. And then in 84, 1984, I, uh, the bow I bought from him, the bighorn, uh, I ended up shooting the number two buck, typical four by. And, um, Bob knew then he's like, oh, this kid, this kid's going hog wild. <laughs> and, um, so, so we just had a good rapport of respect. Bob, Bob has since passed away. Um, but, but he did tell me, cause I, I told him, I said, Oh man, I saw a, a decent four by, but he wasn't that wide, you know? And he's like, did you shoot it? And I go, no. Nah. I go, it really wasn't that big. He goes, how many four-by's you got? I go, well, one. And he goes, if it's got four, you got to shoot it. <laughs> I'm like, because like, our deer, we down here in Southern California, it's a subspecies deer. They call them Pacific hybrids. And they pretty much go from the Mexican border up to um, Monterey, but only on the coastline. Uh, the five freeway is the cutoff. And so they call them Pacific hybrids and they're, they're basically a fork and horn. Um, very few three buys, very few four buys, very few non-typicals. Um, and so, uh, I passed up this four by and he's like, don't ever pass up a four by And so I did. I started killing all the, every four by <laughs> I ever came across. I, I made what? sure I'd try and kill that one.
1: That's an offshoot of a
2: blacktail deer. Yeah, I would say, I would say it is more of a subspecies of a blacktail than it is a subspecies of a mule deer. But within the, within the zone, because it's rather large, I mean, it's, it's probably 400 miles long, three or 400 miles long. In there, there's different pockets of, uh, types. So we will, in our zone, we'll have, um, rope type muley tails with a black tip and we'll have Mm -hmm. full bushy Blacktail tails mm-hmm. and um depending on where you're at we'll have a more of a mule deer a lighter horn maybe a little bit wider spread maybe a little bit thinner and then we'll have um these i call them bulldogs because they're they're, they're like pit bulls they're stocky stubby but they'll have really thick horns uh they they carry a lot of mass and um those are our those are our more uh blacktail type deer that we have. And depending on where you're okay. at within within the boundary. Um but there's there's nothing like the biggest the biggest deer um out of this zone typical is 155 which is which is exceptional. Uh and then I kill the non-typical that uh, scores um uh what does that thing score? I don't even know. <laughs> I shot it in 99 and it's been the number one since 99, but it's, it's a real freak. He's a, he's a five by three by three. He's got two main beams on, on one side, but um, I think he scored 155 too. If I recall, I I actually, that's bad on me. I should know that.
1: <laughs> Dang. And so, you're hunting and living in the greater Los Angeles area. I mean, this area is growing, right? Like it's, this city's growing out of control. I can only imagine. And you're continuing to, uh, uh, bow hunt as all, I mean, it just seems like a, a crazy place to be growing up and, or, you know, coming up and hunting.
2: Yeah, it, it really is. The, uh, the area los angeles area we probably have 30 million people down here we got 40 million total in the state um but la just keeps expanding la orange county and a lot of areas that we used to hunt we can't hunt anymore and then a couple of them like the the Verdugo mountains they've outlawed bow hunting there some of the glendora areas they've they've outlawed hunting and so they just keep pushing us out farther and farther and and then they've they've uh the lions have gone out of control here in Southern California, really decimated. Between the drought and the lions have just decimated our deer herds.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. figured you guys were losing habitat rapidly as, as you were bow hunting. I could only imagine. It was. Yes. Is there still public land for you to hunt or is that mostly what you hunt?
2: No, that is uh, an advantage is there is tons of, of public land. And so that, that is a huge blessing. We have we have Angeles National Forest, which is huge. We have San Bernardino National Forest. We have the Los Padres National Forest. So so we do on the outskirts of Los Angeles, we have big, big areas of um, national forests that we get to hunt. Uh, but like a friend of mine said, he goes, all the good land is private land. All the bad land is public land.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: well. Yeah, but but because I because I was working nights when I first started, I I learned you know I just had a desire to go everywhere, and then I I, I learned how to read sign. I learned you know how to trail deer, and I would follow deer into their beds, and so I would I would learn their bedding area. I'd learn their their day beds. I'd learn their night beds. I'd learn their feeding areas. I I would learn their trail patterns. So I had a, a distinct advantage of just having my, my arse in the field all the time. Uh, and I loved it. So I learned a lot very rapidly and, and for, I did that for a solid decade of, um, just being in the field almost every day. I would avoid the weekends and, um, because it was, it was too crowded then. So I usually hunted, uh, mostly hunted during the week and would avoid the weekends. And that was an advantage too because people wouldn't see me. Um, once you once you start shooting big bucks down here in Southern California, people got your eye on you. They want to know where you're hunting and, and they'll look. They will look for your vehicle. Instead of them hunting, they'll drive everywhere until they find your vehicle. And it's a you know, that's a little sketchy, but it it just goes with being in such a, a large metropolitan
1: area.
0: Mm. wow so so david when you you brought up something earlier and i didn't want to interrupt but when you switched to trad was it your first season you said you you found lightning in a bottle or something um when you didn't miss um can you kind of go over that and and how you you know started your practice how how the switch went for you and you know
2: practicing and yeah. I switched in 82, 83. So it was 84 that I, that I had lightning in the bottle. So no, it did not happen that way. Uh, my first year I missed everything and I was so upset at myself because, um, here in Southern California, it's, it's 99% for me, spot and stock are still hunting. I, I tree stands and just refuse to do it. Um, and so everything was on the ground, and you put a stock on a buck whether he's in his bed or he's up feeding, and you get within bow range, only to farm the shot. Ah, it was killing me. And so I I, I was I had a really really big buck, and I just sailed it over his back, and and you guys just don't know how hard it is hunting down here. It's it's hot, steep, and brushy, and it says that in fishing game regs. <laughs> it says that zone D11 is hot, steep, and brushy, and so it's it's just not conducive to anything. But if you're willing to pay the price, you're willing to be diligent, you're you're willing to continue to push, it it can be done. And so I kept missing, and I said, "Dude, you you got to stop this. This is this is too hard." And so I I committed to becoming a good shot and that changed that changed my career for sure because uh i i i would shoot more tournaments i would i would be disciplined in in my shot process and, and it became a, an excellent definitely an above average shot with trad gear i've won state broadheads and a plethora of tournaments um multiple times i, I won the ibo here a couple of years um they don't they don't have it here anymore um, but I, I set out deliberately to become a good, uh, an above average, uh, traditional shot. And that paid huge dividends because, um, like I have people, people are like, what? You can't shoot trad that far. I, I, I have not a lot, but, um, I have several animals that I've killed at the 50 yard mark on my first arrow because that was my point on. And I knew if, if I, because I could, I could keep all my arrows definitely in a pie plate at 50 yards, if not, you know, with half of them in the spot. And so um, my first, my first 50 yarder was on the Island with a, with a 70 pound longbow. And there happened to be a, a barbed wire fence because the Island used to be ranch with cattle and this hog came out and he's about 50 yards on the edge. And I knew the edge of some brush, um, thinner, like actually. And so I knew I couldn't climb over this chain, uh, not chain link, this barbed wire fence. Cause it would go. So I said, man, that thing, I think that thing's 50 yards. I go shoot him in the heart. And sure as whoo, I shot him right in the heart at 50 with a 70 pound longbow. And I went, dang. And, <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was blown away. And I was like, you know what that, and so I did that on a couple of bucks and, and then I just did it again on another hog. So really only four animals at the 50 yard mark, everything else is underneath that. If, if, if you took all my kills, I would say 90% of them are under 30 yards. And I would say of that 90 75% 75% are under 20 yards on the ground. Um and 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 I'd say probably 30% are under 15 12 yards. That that seems to be my real wheelhouse. Uh when I get close, if I can get close like that, they're pretty much dead. But I've missed. I've missed. I remember uh, in northern California I was on a backpacking trip and uh, me and my buddies, and we heard this bear tearing apart this log. And so we set up for him because he was coming down our way. And then I picked him up at about the 300-yard mark. I could see him coming down to us. This bear walks right to me, and I missed him at 10 yards.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. It was a slam dunk. But.
1: So you guys have? Do you guys happens. have? That was in Northern California. You guys have bears in Southern California?
2: Yeah, we have we have bears in southern. We actually have a very good bear population. Uh, I just ended up last year. I shot a Boone and Crockett bear right here in Southern Cal.
1: He's uh twenty-one wow. and two. Wow! Wow, that's a giant.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's a beast. His teeth are all broken up, and uh, Did you, he had about could you six inches Well, that's, that's a story and a half. So this, I, I, (laughs) the name of this spot, you're not, nobody's going to believe this. And so I named the spot. Are you kidding me? Because it's, it's, it's just a bear Mecca. It is Mecca of bear. I have, I have food source and I have water source. And so, um, I I've known this spot for about five, six years. And, um, my son and his friend shot shot decent bears out of there. But I, I was holding out. I had I had lots of bears that I could kill, but I, I just didn't because I, I knew the area was holding big, big boars. And so um I started hunting it and um the second bear now I did set up a tree stand on water and it's not my first love by a long shot um but in certain situations you're like you got to do it I mean that's that's the only way um, and so the second bear that came in with a was a decent bear he, he actually he actually was a, a really nice bear then I got my gardener coming by <laughs> I'm gonna go in the house hold on could you guys hear the gardener no, no. I, I couldn't Oh, okay, then that's good. I actually just went in the house because he's, he's, he's mowing the lawn. And so um, the second bear that came in, I'm like, man, this, that was a nice bear. But I passed him. In California, We you can't bait or anything like that. And so I took my chances um, in hoping that there was a bigger bear. Well, after the, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, I was like, dude, you should have shot that bear. That was a big bear. And, and so, but I hadn't. And so on the fifth day hunting there and the 16th bear that came into this water hole wow, over my, underneath my right shoulder. Now everything comes from the other side of this pond and they come in. I didn't have one bear come in over my shoulder because I'm on a, I'm on a steep hillside. Now there is a trail, but they don't usually come that way. And that's why I set up on that side. And so all of a sudden it's, it's morning. And I hear this, I hear over my right shoulder, I hear, and this bear is so big and fat. He grunts every time he takes a step. And so, I go, don't move. So he comes two yards underneath my right shoulder. But again, I'm on a hillside. So I I just move my eyes and I look over my right shoulder in my and my left hand and I see him. And I mean, he's a monster. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So, of course, I start shaking still. I still get all jacked up. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, don't move a muscle until he gets to the water. And sure enough, he comes down the trail and he goes to the water. So as soon as he gets to the water and I, he is in this spot, the only tree I could put a stand in, I'm right handed, but I'm, my shot is on the right side. So I have to stand up and turn just because there was no tree that I could have him on my left side. So I knew what I had to do. And so when he gets to the water, I stand up and I grab my bow. And now I'm now I'm in position. Well, bears are a trip. They're they're like junior high, elementary, kids. He dives into the pond and starts swimming and blowing bubbles and swimming back and forth. And I'm like, and I'm thinking, shoot him in the water, shoot him in the one. I'm like, you will not, you won't be able to get him out of there. Wait. And so you know everything is running through your head, and I'm like, this is a shooter for sure. And so he kind of he climbs out on the other side on the far side and he's gonna go out the trail that all every other bear came in on and so he's he's broadside walking and I'm like he's gonna turn and go on the trail out so I go wait until he turns so you have a quartering away shot and sure enough wham I shoot him and all hell breaks loose he roars and flips over backwards and rolls into this bush just right out. And and I think he thought another bear bit him, and then he comes out of the bush walking slow up the trail that every other bear came in on. I'm like, oh, dig it, you got him! But he didn't go down in front of me, and I didn't hear a death moan. So wisdom told me, light a cigar, knucklehead. Don't you don't want to dance with this bear? And so I I like cigars. I'm I'm smoking one now. And so I, I smoke a cigar and, uh, so then I finally come down to the tree. It's been about 45 minutes or an hour and I first blood is massive. He's spraying everywhere. The kind of blood show where you go, this thing's not making it 20 yards. I mean, it's just one of those confident blood shows that you're like, and I'm, and I'm looking, where is he? Where is he? He's, he's got to be right here. And my blood trail is about two feet wide going up the hill and he's not there. And I keep following it, guys. And at the hundred yard mark, I stop and I light another cigar and I go, Something's wrong. Something's wrong. This something is wrong, dude. This beer, this bear is spraying blood everywhere, but he should have gone down and he hasn't. Now get now, granted. He's a monster of a bear. So he's really strong um, and strong willed. Um, but I go, you don't want to dance with this bear, man. So I stop and I light another cigar and I sit there and I contemplate and I'm thinking about what's going on. And I actually even backtracked and looked at the blood trail again. And I'm like, man, this bear is, there's no way this bear could have gone this far. And I, So luckily, I thank God, I stopped and I lit another cigar because at the 400-yard mark, I bump him out of his bed and he stands up. And I I had been blood trailing him with an arrow knocked, but I had to go through some brush. So I put my arrow away, and when I come out on the other side, I don't have an arrow knocked. And because I went through the brush and I stand up on the other side, he heard me. And he stands up, but when he stands up, I could see in his eyes that he's foggy. Kind of like when you, when you look at somebody who's drowsy, you're like, oh. And, and he, he looked at me and he looked away and I could see it in his eyes that he was fuzzy. He was, he was close to death, but he was a hundred percent standing up. I, I get an arrow out and he's only five yards. He's, he's five, three to five yards. And he's, he's standing there, but he's, but he's kind of delirious. And, uh, I shoot him straight in his chest and he explodes again going and he busts through this wall of brush and he starts walking away really slow. And so, uh, I, I throw up my binoculars and I'm watching him walk and I can see him walking, but he's, he's walking slow and then he beds down right there, and I could see him, so I'm like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, and I'm just freaking out, so I go, you can't go that way, because it's too thick, where he, where he busted through, it's too thick, and I go, and I don't want to bump him, so I went down and around, I backed up, and went down and around below him to where I had a uh, better visual on him, and I get to about 20 yards, and he's still in the same bed. And he's just, he, he, he's, he has walked and he just sat down, just laid down right there. He never, he never piled up or anything. And so I kept getting closer. And I'm like, man, I think he's dead. I, I think he's dead. And I take another step and I go, I think he's dead. And I go, what are you an idiot? I go shoot him again. So I pull out an arrow, I shoot him again and he was dead, but it was, it would have been really stupid for me to approach him again and not shoot him again and so i always say it's just an arrow hit him again don't don't try and walk up to him unless you're a hundred percent he's dead and so i hit him again he was dead i couldn't even move him when i walked up to him i couldn't move him where i took the pictures is exactly where he died um and i was by myself and i I, it was it was epic but you want to talk about work
1: (laughs) Uh, twenty over twenty-one inch skull, so he must have been over five hundred. Would you say?
2: Yeah, he was north of five, which I didn't have a scale, but I've killed some four hundred yeah. pounders, and and he could have ate the four hundred pounders. um oh, But yeah, he's just he's massive. And my buddy, who I've hunted with forever, Vance Skinner, he's like, dude, that's a rhinoceros. Or no, no, no. I take that fact He goes a hippo. He goes, that thing's like a hippo. He goes, look at his head. His head and his shoulders and his neck are all the same size. I'm like, oh yeah, like a hippopotamus. And uh (laughs) that yeah, that was a that was a good one. That's the that's the second time I had to shoot a bear. Um I had to shoot another bear way early, way back in the early nineties, uh, up in Northern California in the wilderness, and I followed him too too soon. I thought I smoked him, and I didn't. And to make a long story short, man, me and my buddy, and we're, we're backpacked in nine miles in this wilderness. I followed him too fast, and I ended up bumping him, and he turned and came towards me. And I'm like, don't shoot, because his head was down. I had no shot. I go, it's just going to skip off his head. and then he, And then bears will wag their head left to right as they're coming at you, and he wagged his head to the left at about six yards. And I put one right in the left side of his neck and he goes, and he bites the arrow in two. I was shooting a, a Eastern aluminums and he bites the arrow. And I pulled out another arrow and shot him on the other side of his neck that quick, bang, bang, as fast as you can shoot two arrows. And he roars and runs and jumps on a fir tree that is suspended across this canyon I mean, like 150-foot fir tree, and he dies on the fir tree, but his his claws are scraping the bark, and he just, and poof, falls off. And my buddy, who's standing right behind me, goes, I go, dude, did you see that? He goes, yeah, I was wondering what I was going to tell Jackie how you got eaten by a bear. And the adrenaline dump hit me, man, and I almost passed out on that one uh wow. it, it was early in my career but so i've had two of those uh dancing with bears and i don't like dancing with bears <laughs> oh,
1: they can eat you that's not good oh
2: <laughs> uh,
1: that is so funny my my uh my father-in-law i've been uh going out tracking spring bears and he's been calling me dances with bears he's like soon you're going to dance with one and and he'd oh, I'd yeah. come home and he'd be like and he was like oh there's dances with bears now <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you James if you if you bear hunt, because bears are
2: tough, people don't understand and I think well going back going back to this year's bear, my 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 uh, Booner is the shot too wasn't what I thought and I knew that I thank God I stopped and smoked another cigar because what it did is I waited till he quartered, but he was two quartering away. And all I got was the near lung. And I do think I either, I don't think I clipped an artery because the blood was darker. I, but I think I clipped a vein and it came out the front of his chest. And that's what gave me all the blood. But mm. I did not get, I did not get double lung. And that's why he lasted, um, yeah, uh, three hours is, is how long he lasted. And he went about 400 yards. Um, and what, if you, what was if your you, uh, setup? Oh, I said it was a 63 pound. Um, Morrison limbs on a TradTech 2 riser. And I was shooting a uh, six fifty, six seventy arrow, um, with a, uh, a 300 grain tough head with a hundred grain inside it in wow. uh, a broadhead adapter. So I was, I was running 400 grains on the front. Wow. And I think that arrow was around six, uh, 675 right around there. Um, I it, use like on use... kills like that. I retire the arrow, and I I usually will um, write write what I killed with it, the shot, and all the and then I and then I tape that to the arrow, and then I put it in a box. And I got I got hundreds of kill arrows. Nice.
1: Oh, awesome. Man, that, awesome. That is an that is an awesome story. What Why do you think you had so? Would you say sixteen bears or thirteen bears came into water in five <laughs> days? What was that? What was that setup? Were they what? What were they feeding on? And you know, why were they coming to water so often during the day? Like what? What? What were? Uh, what was Heat. that setup like? It was. Heat. That's why. That's why I named the area. Are you kidding
2: me? Because it it's mecca for bears. And what it is is they they um up the mountain, so they usually feed below me in the oak groves. And then they come up mm. and they hit this pond and then they go to bed. And, uh, it's, it's almost like stopping at the community pool. And, um, mm. it's just, it's insane. I tell people that I go, I killed the 16th bear. And they're like, what? I go, I know yeah. the, the name of the place is, are you kidding me? Cause it's, 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 and I'm looking, I'm, I'm hunting it this year again. Um, and so I'm looking forward to so shooting another big sucker. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh.
1: So um, did you kill that bear in October? No, I killed him in September. September, yeah. I was thinking because he's feeding on masts, so I was thinking somewhere somewhere in there.
2: Now, our acorns will start in uh, August. They'll start oh, okay. dropping. And the, the bears will go up the tree before they start dropping, and they'll go up and they'll break branches. And feed on the acorns while they're still green up in the tree. Once, once they get ripened up, they haven't fallen yet, but they're, they're fully grown. Uh, they will, um, they'll break and you'll, you'll find trees that it looks like there's been a tree trimmer because the whole thing, the whole ground is covered with broken branches and they just rip wow. them and break them. And then sometimes they'll come down on the ground too. And they'll they'll break off big branches and then they'll come down and feed on them, picking the acorns. Um, wow. the, the, it It's a yeah, it's pretty amazing. But that will start in August is when they start uh, feeding on acorns, and this was is September.
1: It, is it pin oaks or white oaks or do you know red oaks?
2: Acres. To me, their their first choice is a black oak. Black um, oak. A California black oak. But they have they have several subspecies within the oaks. I mean, it's it's actually kind of hard. I, I was just looking at this app that you can take a picture of the leaves and the bark, and it'll tell you exactly what the uh, what the uh, botanical name of it. Yeah. And people confuse oaks because there's there's like 150 different types right. different kinds of oaks. Um, but yeah. I do believe these are black oaks and what I've noticed is it's their first choice. They'll they'll go around okay. other ones even even though they got acorns and they'll they'll hit the black oaks.
1: Okay. And do you guys get one bear tag a year in California?
2: Yeah, we get one. Um, one bear tag. No baiting, no dogs. They they outlawed dogs oh about five years ago. And our bear population is boomed, just skyrocketed, and we haven't we haven't hit our quota. Well the quota is seventeen fifty. And I think last year it was only thirteen hundred. Uh they haven't hit the quota since they since they stopped the hound hunting and which was another California mistake, but just just put it on the uh, menu of California mistakes.
0: <laughs> yeah, Oregon's not too far behind. We stopped hound hunting in ninety ninety six. Yeah, cougars and bears. So we got the same problems.
2: Yeah, we had cougars on a, on a moratorium, um, for, I think it's close to 30 years now, um, that you couldn't hunt the the lions. And now they're uh, protected completely. Um, and they just, they just outlawed bobcat hunting, um, a couple of years ago. I think two years ago, they outlawed bobcat hunting, which, Again, put that on the menu of things that don't make no sense.
1: Yeah. They also just made a run to outlaw bear hunting recently, didn't they?
2: Correct, James. They, they absolutely did. And thank God the hunting community just bombarded the senator, and he retracted his bill. But yeah. rest assured, it'll come back again. It will come oh, yeah. back again. But he had so much opposition, thank God to the hunters, uh, and and then this new form of media definitely helps because in the eighties and the nineties we didn't have this. It wasn't until the mid two thousands that people really started to interact with computers and Facebook and blah blah blah. But now that we're in twenty twenty one, bam, it went out like a lightning bolt and the the whole country bombarded them, which is what we needed. Oh, yeah. and,
1: we were posting yeah. and sending. Yeah, we were all over it.
2: Yeah, and
0: and that's um, the you know people social media good and bad, but that's definitely an advantage to where, like you said, you can get that information across. And, yeah, out there to everybody, and they can you can make a difference. You know, getting involved, and that's the frustrating part is when issues come up. You know, that you don't see all the hunters throwing a fit about. You know, and because we could make a difference, but they all right, say, and that know, was stick Fox. together, but. But then be, they're quiet on a lot of these predator control issues that are detrimental to, you know, the hunters.
2: And it, it it takes somebody to spearhead the movement and or and or it takes several people to spearhead the movement. And that's what happened on our Bobcat is it the word really didn't get out and they snuck it in there. And before you knew it, it was banned. Yeah. Um, but it never got it never got any traction of opposition. And so when they presented the, the bear thing, and, and I, and I don't know who, but there was several people, because I got bombarded, um, several people that had said, Hey, we've got to, this is just not right. There's no, no sound biology is being considered, uh, in this measure. It's purely emotional and we're not going to, we're not going to govern our animals and set our hunting seasons by emotion nor nor should we and so california's like the first in line to to do things by emotion uh without using sound biology wildlife biology and so uh thank god the hunting community just bombarded that senator and he retracted his bill
1: yeah i know a few few of my friends jack harrison uh, from Santa Cruz, uh, Preston Taylor, they got on quick and started, yeah, reaching out to all the corporations and hunting the hunting industry as a, at large, and let yeah. everybody know what was happening and to, to, to get proactive super fast.
2: So on that note, I have always said um, that fishing game responds to one thing and one thing only: the almighty dollar. And if, if there was some, and we might be able to do it now in the, in the, because of social media, because the word can get out in, it's amazing what can happen in 24 hours. But if, if hunters would say, we are going to boycott your state, and let's take Colorado for instance, which I don't know if you're aware, which I love Colorado, but Colorado's gross GDP is hunting meaning that's their gross domestic product hunting Colorado makes more money from hunters than snow skiing, than vacationers than any other activity where if hunters said, Hey, Colorado, you you're giving us the shaft. And we as a group are going to boycott you. I guarantee we would get their ear and their attention and California, um, which a lot of people don't realize, our gross uh, domestic product is agriculture. A lot of people think it's the movie or the coast because we got you know 900 miles of coastline, but it's not. It's still agriculture. We're a farming state.
1: Huh. Absolutely, yeah, that's where that's where avocados yeah. come from oranges. Correct, but if, line. if
2: we would, yes, if we withdrew, if hunters withdrew their billions of dollars we would definitely garner a seat at the table. What, what can we do to help you? Uh, right now we're, we're the redheaded stepchild. I mean, we, we, they don't want to hear from us. They don't acknowledge us. They don't listen to us. And it's a shame. Um, but I, I get it because it's in my DNA also. Hey man, I just want to be left alone. I just want to go hunting. Don't, I, I, I don't want to be a campaigner. I don't want to be a politician. I don't want to do that. But but I understand I, I, I may have to because we're losing stuff at an alarming rate. Uh, I mean, the state that I love, born and raised in, has just made some ludicrous decisions. The lion moratorium has decimated our herds, our deer herds. And the, the, the bighorns that hunters have paid – Millions of dollars to reintroduce and to reestablish herds. Guess what? The lions have eaten them. Yeah. Our, our,
0: uh, fishing game just did a study. They collared a bunch of, uh, bighorn sheep in Heart Mountain, which is a national refuge. So in this, I don't know the year exactly, seventies or something. They, they turned that into an antelope refuge. So basically moratorium on hunting predators. And that used to be our biggest sheep unit. We used to transplant sheep out of that unit to put into other units. Correct. And I was like, we had 60-something bighorn sheep tags at one time, I believe. Maybe I'm off yeah. on the numbers, but there was a lot of sheep there. And they collared <laughs> a bunch of these sheep, and 75% of them, I, I believe, don't quote me on the numbers, it's been a while since I read it, but uh, something like 70% of them were killed by lions. And they're like, oh, gee... That's why there's none left. I don't even think they're giving out a t- maybe one tag now, or or yeah, less. I don't even think they're giving the numbers, out a tag
2: anymore. The, regardless of the numbers, Bob, um, yeah. the hunters paid to reintroduce and to reestablish these herds, not to feed lions,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: but so that we can hunt them. And I I know that our our bighorns we have we have both desert and california bighorns decimated because the lions are feeding on them and why wouldn't they and it's it's not the lion's fault i'm not i'm not saying lions are bad i love them yeah. but they must be managed and to, and to take a position in game who their job their design their purpose is to manage and regulate wildlife to regulate wildlife management by emotion is suicide. Damn. It's suicidal, and, and they refuse to to listen to sound wildlife biology management. And so, and then in in California, which now, you guys got me on my soapbox right now. <laughs> <I love it>. <laughs> <laughs> uh. See, the state of California pays hundreds of thousands of dollars to people who have lost livestock to mountain lions. Fish and game will shoot or they'll issue a deprivation permit for mountain lions, and they get zero revenue from it. It's a natural resource, a natural resource. No, we don't want to kill all the lions, but they do need to be managed. And instead of instead of mountain lions being a natural resource in the state of California that the state generates revenue from, it's an expense. Yeah,
1: that's a good thing here. (laughs) Yeah, I think I think. you referred to California as the redhead stepchild. If you guys are the redhead stepchild, <laughs> then we're, we're, we're the redhead stepchild dog in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, we, you do the, s- we do you the do th- same thing. We,
0: you know, we do it with lions and now we're doing it with wolves. Um,
2: well, you guys are our neighbor. So you're, you're on our border. <laughs> so I see that there's, that there's overage. There's overlapping of the lunacy. Um, and that's why I thought for years, I'm like, if we could, and, and it might happen now with social media, if we could rally together, and I mean that with with my whole heart, that if we boycott a state, and because I'm telling you, it's as soon as they're missing a billion dollars in their coffers, you're going to get their attention. Yeah. They're they're going to come to us instead of us going to them, and they're going to the go. Little the coup. It, it is James. Please don't boycott us next year. What can we do? Well, we want it. We want a traditional season. We want this. We want we want these things contained. We want this open. We want, and we'll bring our money back to you. But until then, we're boycotting you. I like it. And uh,
0: you're going to start <laughs> like the Hunters <laughs> Union, and we're going to yeah, I, I like, like it. You got it Bob. We're going to we're going to strike.
1: And and all the residents will have to go hunt in a different state that year and then we'll switch to the next state that we're gonna boycott (laughs) as we make changes. Oh man, I like it.
2: It's a small price to pay. A small price to pay for to get and and I'm I'm not talking I'm not talking crazy stuff. No, we don't (laughs) I don't wanna kill all the animals. (laughs) I don't want to. I want them managed with sound wildlife. Biology. And it's, it's, it's like having, it's like having a, an orange tree. Okay? Say, say you got an orange tree and you go, for, for the last 30 years you never picked an orange. Why? Why? They fall off the tree and they rot every year. Why aren't you using your oranges? All we're asking is to use the surplus that we have on our orange tree, all wildlife is a renewable resource. Every wild animal has a fawn, has a cub, and we can, there's a, there's a surplus of animals that we can harvest and that generates revenue and resources and recreation for the rightful owners of that orange tree, if you will, the public, the citizenry. The state of California is supposed to be managing the wildlife for me, a citizen. But yet they refuse to manage the resources of the state for the citizenry. And that's, oh, you guys got me lit
1: up. Well, that's good well, like lit up you say, they're, <laughs> they basically get, get their cake and eat it too because uh, we're busy hunting. Yeah,
0: you, you I think got it, a, James. We, yeah, that's a great point you brought up. Like the nature of hunters in general are just like you said; they're people that want to be left alone, and they go out and wander around the woods. So, like the involvement part and the you know, like that's second nature, way down the line, you know. So that's part yeah, of why this, we suffer. It's at
2: the bottom here. of my list of things to do.
0: Yes, yeah, but we got to get you know, like, got to get the guys involved, especially well, with all the again, stuff going
2: on. Uh, uh, Bob, because we're in 2021, it, it may be easier. And I'm taught because I'm old school. I mean, I, I go back 40 plus years. It, there was nothing. I mean, if you didn't read it in a magazine or or a newspaper, it didn't happen. Um, where now, boom, uh, it, it's at the speed of light. We get information. And how, how old are may- you, David? <laughs> I'm not saying. <laughs> i'm old enough to know better and young enough not to care
1: (laughs) i like it well you sound pretty young
2: (laughs) good i think yeah i love you brother (laughs) (laughs) well well, i've got a 80 78 44 year hunting career but the uh yeah, no. I was just thinking about. It. I'm 60, but I was thinking. I go, you got to stop saying how old you are because you're an old selfish bitch. Now, the um, <laughs> so I'm like, you know, what? I'm not. I'm not saying no more. I'm just. <laughs> wow, well, you, your energy. Before you know it, I'm going to be a crusty old guy.
1: <laughs> your Your energy is awesome. Uh, I remember seeing uh you're on Instagram, um and you knocked down this heavy beautiful buck that was well, a couple years back and you yeah. were just man you were jacked up I was like man I like this guy's energy
2: oh yeah that was a that was a really heavy four by four uh here in Southern California which first and foremost for people to for people I mean everything because we're talking to everybody in all parts of the country right now and I live in Southern California and so in your area, it would be like pulling down, you know, a 180, a 200 inch muley or, or a 170, 180 whitetail. Okay. That's what we're talking because, because this buck was a heavy four by four and I had hunted him hard. I, 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 he showed up on my camera and, uh, my son and I hunted him really diligently, really hard. And he disappeared on us for 15 days straight. And we're still, we're still hunting him. But little did we know he was gone. And he showed back up on December 30, uh, pardon me, not December, October 31st, Halloween. And then I killed him November 4th. And I was so ecstatic. And I, I'm like, and I, and I usually will carry a cigar and a flask with me for my celebration. And uh, and so I have a flask which James is talking about, and I'm like, "God bless America, God bless President Trump." Look at this form I here killed in Angeles National Forest. <laughs> that was awesome. That was so That's awesome. That was my celebration. I'm like, oh, I got to tell you about that buck, which you're not going to believe. And and the reason I'm sharing this stuff, James and Bob. Is because hopefully somebody will will take these nuggets and put them in their quiver, and when they're in a situation, they'll go, "Hey, King Woodby said he did this," and that's really the only reason I'm I'm sharing. Um, because if you don't have knowledge like I did on my first buck, man, you're gonna make so many mistakes. It's it just it breaks my heart how many mistakes I've made. And so if I can yeah. help you not make a mistake, then then my joy is complete.
1: This well, buck, I, I said, David, I David, I really appreciate that. And uh, I think I was telling you last night on the phone that Bob and I started this podcast back when there was just very few of these. And there's quite a few now. And we we wrestle with, you know, should we continue to do this or or should we let the other guys just have at it? And we always come back to wanting to help promote traditional archery and create traditional bow hunting opportunities in, in uh, all the different states that, that, uh, we can, you know, make a, use it as a management tool or an opportunity. And then the dying lost art of woodsmanship skills is a big you just one. Hit the I think that, yeah. And so that, You, that you just hit the nail
2: on the head.
1: With the, yeah, having guys like you. I'll I'll,
2: I'll, be in a front, I'll be honest and upfront. I'll be honest and upfront with you. I hope nobody. I hope all hunters go away. <laughs> 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 I don't want any more hunters. Stop. Go away. Go pick up knitting. Go pick up volleyball. <laughs> I don't care if there's another hunter because you're you're in my woods. <laughs> However. There's another side that I'm like, man, Uh, guys, I have cried. I have cried in the mountains. I shot a buck one time, and I couldn't believe I lost him. And I sat on a mountainside crying, weeping, not crying, not crying, weeping, because I worked so hard to try and get him, and I failed. Because I didn't know what the hell I was doing, I was just heartbroken, and, and I'm like, if I can help you, not have that heartache, I'm I'm willing. But but he, here's another aspect of where we're at, and, and please remind me where we're cause, <laughs> cause we're, 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 we were going because I got to share something.
1: we 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 everybody wants your
2: big. Go ahead. Oh my big four. Okay, thank you, James. Everybody wants easy. Every, myself included. I want easy. It's our human nature. That's why we got a cell phone. That's why I got a barbecue. That's why I got, <laughs> that's why I got a truck. That's why I got satellite. That's why, cause I want it easy. But what happens is, is if, if we live a lifestyle of easy, it makes us soft and we're, we're freaking pussies. We turn yes. into this, don't even recognize us. You got, you got, it just turns us into a weak human being. But if you're willing to implement some tough times, some hard times, it will make you, it will make the metal. Just like, just like the fire creates good metal and it removes the dross, the impurities when you're making either a broadhead or a knife without fire, without the heat. Without the adversity, you're just, you're just a, a freaking pussy. You're soft. You're a nothing. You, you got no strength. You got no endurance. You got no ability. You got no hardness. You, you, and so this buck, and this was a killer buck here in Southern California. And I hit him and I ended up losing him because of my lack of experience, my lack of knowledge. And I sat on the mountainside. And I was, I was just heartbroken. I couldn't believe it. The difficulty and the challenge. I wasn't up to it. And it melted me. And I prayed to God and I'm like, God, I'd never want that to happen again. I was so heartbroken. And that pushed me. That was the furnace. That was the furnace that melts the metal that allows the dross, the weakness, the impurities to come to the surface. And I, I didn't have a good enough hunting ability. or skill. I wasn't up for the challenge. And it hurt. It hurt me bad. But it changed me. It changed me. And, and I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna fold. I was gonna learn how to be better. And woodsmanship is lost because we want it instant. We want instant gratification. I want it easy. Well, you know what happens with easy? You don't learn and you, you are not made. You are not better. You are not harder. You are not stronger. You're actually weaker because it was easy. But if you're willing to rise to the occasion, rise to the, the endeavor, it will make you, man. It will make you. You'll, you'll be like tungsten steel. You'll be so hard, so great. Nothing dents you. Nothing chips you because you're tungsten steel. You're like, no, I got this. And circling back, that, that's why I stopped and I, I smoked another car. On my bear, because a fool or an ignorant or an yeah. inexperienced or a lack of knowledge individual would have pushed that bear, and I would have danced with that bear. <laughs> it's, they'd probably be looking. They'd probably be searching its poop right now for my DNA. <laughs> this this bear ate this dude because he was he he didn't have the skill level, he didn't have the talent, he didn't have the wherewithal. The woodsmanship, to and he made a mistake, and it cost him his life because this bear ate him before he died. Um, And that's what I'm talking about. Wisdom, experience, knowledge, woodsmanship told me, sit your ass down. This bear, something's wrong. This bear should be dead, and it's not. So sit down. Stop. Contemplate what's going on, and I'm like, Some- "Something's wrong. This this bear should have been dead, and he's not." So now, granted, hindsight, <laughs> I should have waited a couple more hours, and he'd have been dead, and I wouldn't have had to shoot him a,
0: a second time.
2: But well, you can
0: I- probably I got only carry. Little- you could probably only carry so many cigars, right? <laughs> <laughs> You needed like six, but you only had two or three. So that's a good one, Bob. All right, I promise I'm going to carry more. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's true. so awesome, man, because because you know that exact thing you were bringing up. You know, like the fire and the like. We do. We live in a world that's just. It's so easy. Everything's easy, and people that don't hunt. I you know I'm. I work with a lot of people that don't hunt, you know, and I live in a liberal city just like you do, and yeah. uh, they don't they don't understand how much you put into it, like especially mm. with a traditional bow. And you know, I'm trying to figure out this longbow thing right now. I've been since the end of season <laughs> ended. I have been trying to master shooting a longbow, and I've shot a recurve forever. And it's like it's a new thing, and. Man, every day I'm shooting, I'm trying to, you know, I'm just, it doesn't leave your mind. And then the summer, you know, spring, summer comes, you're scouting, you're just grinding and then season comes and you can spend, you know, 20, 30, 40 days, you know, you're getting up. It's cold. It's miserable. It's rainy or it's, or it's the opposite down where you're at. It's 110 degrees. And I mean, and then. When it happens, or like you said, you mess it up, like people just do not understand, like there's not a lot of things in life anymore that we can, we can, you know, flirt with death and, and, you know, just like have that grind to make you feel alive again. I was up in Alaska with a good buddy of mine and James's, Danny, this year, and he, you know, it's like, we're predator calling for, for, kodiak oh blacktails in the middle of alderbrush and you know right after you no, see you're, these bears you're predator
2: calling for kodiak yeah, brown bear
0: well i mean we're in brown bear <laughs> areas you know and it's like i'm like danny maybe we should stop calling you know we had like a fawn call or whatever and, and he's just like he's just he's alive and he's like man it's been a while so you know it's like that feeling of you know oh, yeah. like flirting with the edge he's like i love it i'm like you're crazy <laughs> Yeah. That's
1: pretty cool. No, you know, he, you know
2: he, you're right. He is crazy. <laughs> yep. yeah. He's crazy because you're not calling deer, you're calling bear <laughs> and bakery. <bacon. laughs> but it is true, guys. It is true, Bob, that, uh, um, yeah. we, society has, has become just so melancholy that we, we live such comfortable lives in 2021 that, I mean, if you go back a hundred, two hundred years ago, dude, there might be another tribe riding into your village ready to kill and rape your women. Yes. And, and you better be ready to defend. And, and we've lost it because life is so comfortable now. We, we, we don't have raiders. We don't have marauders that are riding in. I mean, the, the 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 Greeks and the Romans fought each other for centuries not just a few years <laughs> centuries making each other slaves and and raping the women and stealing their property and and you're talking about thousands of years of of life and now here we are in 2020 and I'm upset <laughs> that you don't call me by the proper pronouns. <laughs> I want to yep. hit you in the head with a frying pan and like, <laughs> dude, wake up. There's yeah. bigger fish to fry. Yeah, And so I digress. Let me, let me go back to the four by the, the oh heavy four by because that was a great diversion, guys. And I, and I mean that with all my heart because this I, is I, I'd also to like
1: to add, I'd like to add that I agree with you, um, about not wanting more hunters. You know, there's this big thing about more hunters, more hunters, <laughs> more hunters. More hunters. And me and Bob have talked about it a lot. And I think really we need better hunters on the landscape. It's like, we don't need more. Ooh. hunters; we need, a be- we need a better hunter. We need a more quality hunter, a more involved hunter. Uh, you know, that, I think that is uh, what we should be striving for. And, and we'll concur you know, sharing with
2: sharing.
1: Yeah, for sure. So we'll get back to the, with- the big heavy monster buck.
2: No, that, that is true. And you are correct. And, and I can get behind that, um, yeah, because, because we completely lost that, that, that big buck. The, um, so I'm, I'm setting up for this just a monster of a Southern California buck. Dude, I, and I'm in a stand because I know where he's coming. And again, I hate stands. You guys don't understand. I hate tree stand honey. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I'm on the ground spot in stock, but because I'm not a fool. I understand when you should put up a stand. And so I did put up a stand for this buck because this was just a great area, blah, 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 this buck. So I'm in stand and I smoke cigars. on What is the, stand. what
1: is the, <laughs> the stance? Are you set up on a, on a travel corridor? Are you in a pinch point? Are you on water? What's the, what's the setup? I'm on a tree that I call mother, actually
2: Eve. I call her Eve because she's the mother of all trees. She's got about a, Foot canopy, she's huge, and I ended up naming her Eve because she's the mother of all trees. And it's a black oak, and all the deer come to eat off of her, and she's raining acorns. And but Ooh. but this buck, this buck has been dis- he has been gone for fifteen days straight. My son and I, my son took off two weeks to hunt him, and and he he was gone. He was probably in the rut somewhere, and. Um, so I'm in this stand and it's in the, e- it's an evening sit and I hear him coming in and he had something, he had something with his nose, which, um, hindsight, he had taken a time to the jaw and he had a broken jaw and the other time went into his nose. But as he came in, he was going <laughs> and he was blowing his nose and I'm like, Oh, and so. He, he did kind of a little button hook into me, and because he snorted, but it wasn't a snort. He was blowing his nose. He, I was able to be up and ready for the direction that he came in, so I, I had bow in hand, ready, not moving at all. And he comes into about 15 yards, but he's looking right in my direction. He's quartering right at me. And what I don't know is he's look, he's scanning behind, below me and behind me, looking for other does and he's gonna he's gonna it This is in the middle of rut actually it's in the latter end of the rut but it's still rut and and he um is scanning there and he's standing there and i'm i'm just frozen and i'm only up about 10 feet and so i'm not really high and i'm like because i'm i'm especially at 15 yards i can pretty much hit the the spade on an ace of spade at 15 yards. I can thread the needle and I'm like, just shoot, him. just shoot him down his chest. And I'm like, no, you know, you, you know how this <laughs> verbal dialogue goes on in your head as a buck is there. I mean, at least I do. I mean, all kinds <laughs> of stuff going on in my head. And I'm like, just shoot him down the chest. And I'm like, no, wait. He doesn't know you're here this buck is scanning and he's what I don't know, which I, I later find out he's beat up and he was gone 15 days. Cause he was just kicking ass and taking names. He's got a busted jaw. He's all scarred up. He broke a tip of his tines and he's just, he's just been, he's, he's the bad boy. And so he's, so I'm sitting there waiting. And again, I get excited. I'm hyperventilating. I'm like, shut your mouth and simmer down now because I'll mouth breathe and I'll, I'll catch myself going. Oh, 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 oh. And, and so I'm like, shut your mouth. And so I shut my mouth and then my, my juggler vein is like a fricking fire hose going off and it's just boom, boom, boom. I can hear my heart in my ears and I'm like, boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, slow down, settle down. You're gonna, you're gonna kill him. Simmer down. So I'm trying to talk myself down. Woo! Just simmer down. And this buck is scanning. And he's standing in a bed. But he's scanning at this tree I call Eve, which has just a huge canopy. And it's, it's a centerpiece. So he's standing there looking. And I'm like, all right, shoot him. And he does, for five minutes, he's just standing there scanning. And I'm like, Alright, just shoot him in the front of his chest. And I shoot a setup that is capable, if I shoot him on the, on the, on the north end, it's coming out the south end. If I shoot him on the south end, it's coming out the north end. I do not shoot light tackle, and I mean that in both bow weight and arrow weight, because I learned early on that there is nobody who hunts Africa with expandable bullets. They hunt elephants, rhinoceroses, hippos, Cape buffaloes. They shoot solids. Why do they use solids? Because they want the bullet to go stem to stern. They don't want the bullet stopping in them. Now, granted, it happens every now and then. But when they shoot an elephant, they want it coming out as as back in. And so that's the kind of setup that I shoot. My arrows don't stop in game. They go stem to stern. And so I'm like, just shoot him in the front of the chest. And as I start to draw my bow, he looks right up at me. Ah! And I'm about a third of the way draw, so I stop. So I'm holding a third of the of the bow weight. I'm at, I'm shooting 63 pounds, and I freeze. And I'm like, he's looking at me at 15 yards, looking up in the tree, head up, eyes up, looking, staring right at me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's looking right at me. And so I just freeze right there holding it. And then after about three minutes, which is a long time, he drops his head down. And so I let the bow down slowly. And so now I'm sitting at – I'm sitting at um, – I don't have any tension on the string, and I'm waiting. And then he starts to turn, and he goes broadside, and I start to draw my bow – Then he goes quartering away and then I I get to full draw and I'm like busted. And as I'm, this is the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. As I let down, he, uh, pardon me, as I'm coming to full draw and I'm ready to release the string, he drops his front end because he's gonna bed there like a dog and curl up and his, Basically, his whole front end is dropped, and his chest is on the ground. And as I let go of the string, he throws his back in sideways like a dog that's going to go into their bed. You know, he's going to lay down on his side. And he's sitting there because does come in there. And he he initially was scanning for any other bucks or any does. And then he felt comfortable, and then he curled up like a dog that's going to go in his bed and I let go, and I hit him in the back left leg. not Because I got a perfect quartering away shot, but I do believe that he swung his his ass in, down, and around like a dog, all in a millisecond. Uh. So I know. (laughs) So my arrow goes crack, and I got a lot of arrow sticking out. And he goes running down the hill, and I throw my glasses on him, and i'm like why is so much arrow sticking out of him it should be it should be sticking out of his chest and he never put his left leg down he ran on three legs like he was normal and he stopped at about i say about the 80 the 100 yard mark he stops and he doesn't know what happened and i'm looking at him i'm looking at the arrow and i'm i'm looking at his back left leg and I don't see any blood coming out of his leg, and I'm like, "You didn't get femoral." But I'm looking at his leg, and I'm like, "What are you gonna do?" And I'm, I was, I was just heart sick. I was just, just my heart sunk. I've been hunting this buck, and I just, and I thought I made just a horrible shot. And I, I literally look away for a millisecond, and I look back, and he's gone. Oh, I'm like, oh. So I go, I, I'm just saddened. I'm, I'm totally saddened. And I'm heartbroken, which which can happen when you're hunting. I, I wish every shot, I wish every animal I ever killed was a one-arrow, two-second kill. But reality says that's not true because this deer wants to survive. And he'll do anything he can to survive. So I climb down and I slip out. I, I mean, literally as quiet as I can stalk and I slip out and and I go up the mountain and I leave. I call my son and I tell him, I go, I just just hit the big four by and I go, it's a horrible shot and I'm going to lose him and I'm not going to recover him. And I'm like, I was just pissing in my own beer. (laughs) I was whining and crying and just, oh, I was so sad. So I'm like, all right, I'm going back the next morning and I go, I'm going to hunt in the morning. And then around eleven o'clock I'm gonna climb down. And man, the next morning I had all these deer come in, but there was a really big four uh uh three by two that came in, but I'm like, nah, don't shoot him. And and so I just hung out in the tree stand. So around eleven o'clock, I climbed down and I go to where I last saw him and I've got a pool of blood about about the size of a coffee can where he was standing when I was glassing him. I'm like, all right. He, he's here. And of course I got an arrow knocked and I start blood trailing him. And I and I got blood. And I follow him to where he bedded again. And he betted on a little knoll, on a little rise that he that he can see everything, three hundred and sixty degrees. But he wasn't there. And I'm like and I'm looking at it. Now it's about noon, you know. It's it's warm here in Southern California. And I go I go, the sun The sun made him move. I go, he was alive all night, but the sun made him move. He sat here all night. The sun made him move. So I'm following the blood trail, and I go down into the trees, and I bump him up at about 15 yards. And luck, thank God I have an arrow knock. Wham, I hit him again. He goes about 15 yards, wham, I hit him again and he goes down, but he jumps back up and runs about another 20 yards and piles up. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's about, about 20 hours later, I killed him with my third arrow into him. And that's the one where you see me with the flask. And I'm like, yeah. this, uh, this is a fucking Southern California. <laughs>
0: So awesome. But, well, and that's, that's your, you know, like learning over all those years of what to do. You know, if that was 30 years ago, you'd have been running that thing all over and probably would have never found it, you know. I would have bumped him
2: and locked him forever, yeah. Bob.
0: Yeah. The,
2: and again, and that's why I'm sharing is because hopefully I can help somebody out back out, back out, give them time. And he was, because I let him sit all night, <clears throat> he was stoved up. And when he stood up, he could barely stand up, but he stood up. And when I hit him again, of course he lit up like a Christmas tree. Now he's like, oh, and, but, but I'm a quick shot and I'm a pretty accurate shot. He, I hit him again. So I hit him twice, two times and bam, he went down. And the reason I'm sharing that story, it's not what I wanted. It's horrible. Everything about it's horrible. The only part that was a saving grace is I snuck out of there and let him sit all night because he was stoved up. He wasn't dead, but he was stoved up. And I always say, once you hit him, you have a responsibility to finish him. It, killing killing stuff is never pretty. It's We're killing stuff. But that's how we as humans eat. That's how lions eat. That's how hyenas eat. That's how wild dogs eat. It's never pretty. It's no. it's it's gnarly. It's it's barbaric. But once you hit them, you you have to finish the job. You have an obligation. Of course, I want one arrow kills. Who doesn't? Of course. But but if you lose them because of your own inadequacy or your own failures, well, now that's on you. You have a responsibility. And and that's where James and I were talking last night about woodsmanship and and responsibility. And wood, woodsmanship is a lost art because everybody wants instant. I want to get the newfangled thing. I want the new bow sight that tells me the range so I don't even have to pull out my range finder. It automatically yeah. tells me the yardages and adjusts adjust my pin to where just shoot this. And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> and <laughs> So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So it's like a lot of guys we have on the po- on the podcast, you know, they they kind of are Hunting, you know, a lot of different places and going a lot of places. You sound like you've really stayed close to home for for most of your uh, bow hunting adventures. Is that accurate, or
2: that is correct? I've, I've hunted Idaho, Montana, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, but I learned early on I want to hunt, and and I hey, I did, guys, go pursue all the species. I I, I, I did that. It's just not me. I want to hunt and, and I hunt year round and I, I live in a state that's got phenomenal hunting, phenomenal. If you can figure it out, if you can't figure it out, it'll, it'll beat you to death and you'll like California sucks. But if you, if yeah. you can figure it out, it's a phenomenal state. I mean, I get to it's hunt. A hidden, it's deer. a hidden gem for sure. It's a hidden gem and. We got wacko politicians, but it's a hidden gem. And you get two deer. You get two deer tags a year. I get two deer tags. I get a bear, and I get hogs. And I really only hogs. I only hunt hogs when I can't hunt deer or bear. And so as soon as as soon as deer and bear season opens, I'm hunting deer and bear. But as soon as they close, whoop! I immediately switch to um, to hogs, which you want to talk about a, a target-rich environment? I mean, I've I've had ten hog days. You're like, what? Yeah, ten, I've had
1: you've, ten, you've killed ten hogs in a day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, that's that's what and, I call bringing home the bacon, David.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, and and that's what I'm talking about is because I just wanted to hunt. I'm like, I want to hunt. I want to. I want to hunt. And um. I had a well, I was blessed I was blessed to have a an incredible hunting p- partner for 30 plus years that uh him and I were 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 just like brothers one mind one one purpose and that was to hunt and to kill shit and we did it and another thing on that be- before you ask your question is that deprivation hunts allow you to kill a lot of game and I've been on several deprivation hunts it's, it, I mean, bighorn, you're going to get one elk. You're going to get one deer. You usually get one or two, unless you live in a southern state and you can shoot 20 or 30, but it's, it's rare. And so hogs has allowed me to, to, to hunt and to, to stack up kills that, that are extraordinary, you know?
1: Um, and, and that's, just, and
2: that's all I want to do. I want to hunt.
1: You've shot some extraordinary hogs, some big Russian-looking nasty boars, and I know that I've only been hog hunting for just a like a one one day type of hunt. I plan to do more, but talking to the guys down there that hunt them, coming across those big old boars, I hear is pretty tough to come by. Like getting getting a shot on a pig, I guess, is no big deal, but finding those big mature hogs, I hear, is is uh, uh, quite the challenge um i'd love to wrap this up with uh just you, know, you touching on the hog hunting and maybe a, uh your favorite hog story
2: sure i'll i'll my position my my understanding and and just so you know i'm i'm probably north <laughs> i'm probably north of 500 hogs and people are like what and i'm like i got friends who will validate
1: it they're like yeah i've been on this just because well, we I could. Remember, I remember back in the trad gang days when I was hovering there, you posting pictures of hogs all the time. I remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, Southern California,
2: um, we we have a mixture. First, the Spaniards dropped off hogs, and then some of the hunters back in the in the uh, 30s, 40s, and 50s, and even into the 60s, they imported uh, European Russian boars, and so. Uh, our strain is a mixture of them. If you notice, a lot of the eastern hogs and the Texas hogs, they got floppy ears. They don't look anything like our our hogs. Our hogs are like a mountain hog. But what I tell people is, I go, there's really three categories, and I broke it down to that three categories of hogs. And the the hundred pounders and under can be killed with a broomstick. They're they're very easy to kill. They're they're not that hard at all. And, and then once you go north of 100 up to about probably the 175, maybe even into the 200 category, it, you better step up your equipment because they're getting tougher. And I'm referring to boars, not sows. Anybody can kill a sow. Uh, uh, sows are easy to kill because they don't have the physical structure, um, that, that the males have. And then north of uh, 350, you better have African tackle. You better have big game tackle because these things will test the best equipment. I can't tell you how many people tell me, oh yeah, man, and I shot a big boar. And I'm like, did you get it? And they're like, no, I lost it. Because you, you can't get the penetration in them. Um, the shield um, on boars here in Southern California, two to three inches thick. And it just it just grabs the arrow, and you're not even you're not even in you're not even in meat yet, and you've gone through three inches, two and a half three inches of gristle, not counting mud, in their hair, um, or scar tissue. Just talking about a, a good clean bore, and then you got about four to five inches in the shoulder muscle before you even get to the rib cage. And then you gotta get through the ribs and the, and the, and traverse them, of course. And so they, big boars test tackle. And when I first started, I mean, I was killing lots of hogs with just, I mean, I've killed hundreds of animals with Zwicky's and I, I ended up buying some single bevel grizzlies on, on one reason and one reason only is they were, they were, they were lean and I thought they would penetrate more and Man, I started blowing through things. So I'm like, I'm on to something. Now I was shooting a really skinny arrow that they, they discontinued. It was called a blue jacket and it's, it's a, it's a micro diameter. Me and my buddy, we bought 250 dozen of them. <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah, we bought 250 dozen of them. The guy wanted us to buy 4,000 dozen, but we're like, and this was before the internet. And we're like, where are we gonna store these things? And I'm like, man, I my I can't store these in my garage. But I I wish we would have because shortly after that the internet opened up and we could have we could have made a fortune on on eBay, but I digress. And so when I went to these skinny shafts and the single bevel grizzly, I mean, I'm shooting through boars. I was on the island one time, and I I had this herd of hogs coming through in the morning. They're coming up this ridge, and I was able to get in front of them, and so I was set up for an ambush. And the first hog stepped into my window, and I, and my arrow just jumped right through it. The next one stepped into the exact same window, my arrow jumped right through it. I shot four hogs right there, and none of my arrows stayed in the hogs. And so um, because arrows are important on the island, I'm like, man, I got to find my arrows. And um, my buddy goes, dude, go back. And we couldn't find it. We couldn't find not one of my four arrows. And I go, he goes, he goes, go back to where you're at and shoot your judo. Because I always carry a judo because I stump shoot along the way. And I shoot my judo and my judo goes across the canyon and there's all four of my arrows. I mean, they flew 80 yards after they went through the hogs. And we were wow. like, what? Yes. Yes. The type of penetration that we all desire. I desire. And so I started and then Ashby study came out with the lateral study and he actually documented what I was doing. I didn't know. I just, I just stumbled across it. So I was shooting a heavier. Arrow, uh, with a, with a sleek single bubble and Ashby started documenting it. So I started, uh, paying attention to his, to his studies and I started to implement heavy EFOC 28, 29, 30% EFOC, um, uh, structural integrity. And I, I mean, the dividends are just monstrous that, that I can break scapulas. I can break humorous bones. It, it Nothing stops the arrow. And so, um, let's see, you, you asked about big, I got a couple of good ones. <laughs> 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 One of the best ones was, was my son and I. He had shot a, a boar in the morning, and we were blood trailing it. And you know how you blood trail. I, I always blood trail with an arrow knocked because you don't know if you're going to have to shoot it again. And he goes, Dad, boar. And so this boar pops up on this hillside, and the sun is in his eye. And him and I, are we're not far apart. And I go, Caleb, let's both shoot it. And he's looking back at us, but he can't see us because the sun's in his eye. And so I go, one, two, three. (laughs) And we both shoot, and we both hit it. And the boar breaks down and starts running up this creek bed. And my son goes up on top to try and cut him off. And I'm chasing this hog. This hog's tusks are above his nose. I mean, he looks like he's got white bananas in his mouth. And I'm running. And I'm 60. And I'm running after this hog, running and shooting. It's a cartoon. And so after about a 100 yards, I drop my day pack, and I'm, I'm just chasing him and shooting him, chasing him and shooting him. He stops and I'm down to one arrow. And I shoot it again, and I got one arrow. So this hog charges me, and well, actually, let me back up. Before I shoot my last arrow, he charges me. I drop down to one knee, and I'm like, I got one arrow left, and I and I don't shoot him. I jump up and I run and I scream and I yell like a little girl, "Ah!" because because I don't want him chasing me down. And then he stopped, so I stopped and I shoot my last arrow. And then I yell and this hog charges me again, but then he stopped. He's hurting. I've hit him three or four times. And, and then I yell for my son because I'm barking at this hog to try and get him to bay to stop. And I'm like, wah, 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 and he stops. And then every now, it would, if I wouldn't bark or yell at him, he would start walking off and I would yell at him and kind of charge him and he would stop to charge me, but he's hurting. No doubt he's hurting. He's not that fresh. And so I yell at my son, Caleb, I got the hog. I don't have any arrows. Come and help me. And I just keep yelling. And that is keeping the hog at bay. Well, my son is, he's four 400 yards away. So he finally runs up to me, and he goes, where's the hog? And I go, he's right there. He didn't even see him. He's five yards in front of us. And then my son finishes him with an arrow and he falls over And I'm like, Caleb, we did it. And I have a GoPro on my head that was off (laughs) (laughs) the whole time it was on. He goes, turn your GoPro on. And so I turn it on, and it gets him crashing over and breaking our arrows and uh, the excitement of that. But I was like, oh, no, I'll never do that again. But because we were blood trailing, I had turned the GoPro off, and I missed Everything. I missed the whole adventure of that. But this hog is uh, my biggest hog uh, to date. He's he's got four and a half on one side and three and a half on the other. He snapped off about an inch of the other side, and he's just a monster. He's a calico monster. Wow. Yeah. But that's why I signed up. When I killed my first buck, I'm like. This shit is bitching, and so <laughs> it's never stopped. It's never stopped. It's just, what I mean, think of it. My bear, I killed this last year in 20, 2020. I mean, that's an adventure and a half. It's yeah. never stopped. It, it, it never has. Uh, so that's where I am. I think you've
1: left. I think you've left a lot of really good gold nuggets on the table, and uh, <laughs> we re, we really appreciate that. Um, do you have anything in conclusion that you'd like to maybe let, leave the listeners uh, maybe related to woodsmanship skills? Don't
2: be afraid of the difficulty. Yeah, it's hard. It's really fricking hard. It's hard, but the hard will make your metal. It'll make you a better woodsman. It'll make you a better hunter. easy, is only going to get you kills. Yeah, you can whack them and stack them. Ask Ted. You can whack them and stack them. And that's cool. If that, if that floats your boat, dig it, man, go ahead. No problem. But if you want to learn some woodsmanship, try picking up the recurve and the longbow. And I, and like Bob, I went from a recurve to a longbow and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. It. it it doubled down again. I had a hard time going from the recurve to the longbow, but I said, again, I said, you better, you got to master this or you can't hunt it. And, and I did, but don't be afraid of hard, um, because hard is going to make you a better hunter, make you, make you a better woodsman. And I, I always say it's return on investment. When I hunt with a trad bow, which I, I only hunt with a trad bow, I I get a better return on investment. I don't care if I kill a spike fork meets better, more than your four by four. Now, if you can kill a four by four with a trad bow, it's even better. Oh
1: man. Yeah. That, well, that, that is, that is solid advice. And, uh, I think you're absolutely right that, you know, uh, we don't, Howard Hill didn't call this hunting the hard way for nothing. Oh, um, Man, I've I've found I've I've shed those tears and and uh, you know I'm just a young pup in this game and I can tell you it's hard. <laughs> uh, there, there's no way around it.
2: Yeah, how Howie he knew what he was talking about. He's like hunting the hard way. I mean,
1: yeah, it's
2: true, it's true. But the return on investment, I promise you. Now, now let the whole. Let me rephrase that. If you rise to the occasion, the return on investment will be well worth it. If you shrink back and cower down and go back to the easy way, you will not have learned. You will not have the tools. You will not have the experience. You will not have the metal. And that's fine too. Hey, dig it. Knock yourself out. You're in the field. You're having a, a, a wonderful time. But if you're willing to rise to the occasion. King would be promises you the return on investment is well
1: worth it. Once again, we'd like to thank everybody for tuning into the podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends about the show. Check us out on Instagram. Uh, Send us an email. Let us know what you think. Uh, If you've got a mentor or a friend that nobody knows about, uh, we love getting those guys on the show, as you know. Uh, send us an email at TradQuestPodcast.com. We'd also like to s- thank our Patreon supporters for sticking with us. Thank you so much. We've got some awesome hats and T-shirts that will be up on the website uh, probably sometime next month. And keep the wind in your face. Get the spot and treat sticks. I'm
0: an outdoor outside.